Chapter 22 of Fairy Fingers by Anna Cora Mawat Ritchie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. Chapter 22 Meeting the tangled web Count Tristan had woven for others began to fold its meshes around himself and to torture him with the dread that he might be caught in his own snare. From the moment Maurice arrived in Washington, an event the Count had not anticipated, his covert use of the authority entrusted to him was menaced with discovery. To a frank, straightforward character, the very natural alternative would have suggested itself of explaining, and, as far as possible, justifying the step taken, but to a mind so full of guile, so wedded to wily schemes as the Count's, a simple, upright course would never have occurred. The fear of exposure threw him into a state of nervous irritability which allowed no rest, and he was compelled to pay the price of deception by plunging deeper into her labyrinths, though every step rendered extrication from the briery mazes more difficult. On the morrow, Maurice accompanied his grandmother, Bertha, and Count Tristan to the residence of Marchioness de Fleury. Count Tristan's malaise evidenced itself by his unusually fretful and preoccupied manner, his querulous tone, and partial forgetfulness of those polite observances of which he was rarely oblivious. He allowed his mother to stand, looking at him in blind amazement, before he remembered to open the door. Was very near passing out of the room before her, and scarcely recollected to hand her into the carriage. His abstraction was partially dissipated by her scornful comment upon the contagious influences of a plebeian country, but to recover himself entirely was out of the question. On reaching the ambassador's mansion, the visitors were disconcerted by the information that Madame de Fleury did not receive. She will receive us, answered Maurice, recovering himself, we are here by appointment, and, passing the surprised domestic, he ushered his grandmother into the drawing-room. Bertha and Count Tristan followed. The servant, with evident hesitation, took the cards that were handed to him and retired. The door of the salon chanced to remain open, and rendered audible a whispered conversation going on in the entry. I dare not disturb Madame at this moment. She would fly into a terrible rage. You know she never allows her toilette to be disturbed. These words, spoken in a female voice, reached the ears of the visitors. But the gentleman says it is an appointment. What's to be done? What am I to answer? was the rejoinder in a rough male tone. You are blockhead. You have no management replied the first voice. I will arrange the matter without your stupidity. Lurline now courtesied herself into the room, and, after bestowing an arch glance of recognition upon the vicomte, addressed the countess. I am désolé to be obliged to inform madame that madame de Fleury is at this moment so much absorbed by her toilette 
that I fear I shall have no opportunity of making known the honour of the madame's visit. My mistress has made an engagement to go to the capital to hear some distinguished orator. It is madame's debut in the spring attire this season. Madame's dress, bonnet, and mantle have at this moment been sent home. A more delicately fresh toilette de printemps cannot be conceived. It will establish the fact that spring has arrived. But madame has not yet essayed her attire and assured herself of its effect. I trust madame la comtesse will deem this sufficient apology for not being received as she concluded lurline simpered and curtsied and seemed confident that she had gracefully acquitted herself of a difficult duty not receive us when we are here by invitation ejaculated the countess angrily is madame de fleury aware that it is the countess de grammont and her family who are calling upon her there must be some mistake interposed maurice then turning to the femme de chambre he added i beg that you deliver these cards to the marchioness and bring me an answer how am i to refuse monsieur replied Leline, hesitating, yet softening her unwillingness to comply by a volley of sidelong glances. Monsieur is not aware that he is placing me in a most delicate position. It is against madame's rules to be disturbed when her toilette is progressing. It requires her concentrated attention, her whole mind. Still, if monsieur insists, I will run the risk of madame's displeasure monsieur must only be kind to, enough to wait and allow me to watch for a favourable moment when i can place these cards before madame with a low salutation and a coquettish movement of the head that set all her ribbons fluttering the femme de chambre made her exit not receive us make us wait exclaimed the countess wrathfully truly madame de fleury has profited by her sojourn among savages this is not to be endured let us depart at once my dear mother began count tristan soothingly it will not do to be offended or to notice the slight if there be one but i am sure none is intended it is absolutely indispensable that i should see the countess and get her to present this letter to marquis de fleury and also that i should obtain his promise that she will influence him to secure the vote of mr gobert pray be courteous to the marchioness when she makes her appearance or all is lost what degradation will you demand of me next how can you suppose it possible that i can be courteous i tell you i am furious but you do not know all that depends upon obtaining these votes think of this railroad of the vital importance of the direction it takes think of the maryland property which is almost all that is left to us have i not again and again begged you not to meddle with railroads not to occupy yourself with business matters which a nobleman is bound to ignore 
and obeying you as far as I could, and only acting in secret, I have nearly ruined myself, answered the Count with growing excitement. At this moment, the loud ringing of a bell was heard, accompanied by the voice of Lurline, speaking in tones of great tribulation. Patrick, Patrick, do you not hear the bell? Come here quickly. What's to be done? Such a calamity. It's dreadful. It's dreadful. Count Tristan started up and went to the door to question the femme de chambre, fearing that the calamity in question might be of a nature sufficiently serious to prevent the much-desired interview. Lurline was standing in the hall. She wore her hat and shawl and was giving directions to a domestic in the most rapid and flurried manner. "'Will Madame de Fleury receive us?' inquired the Count anxiously. "'I told Monsieur that I could not promise him, and now that this misfortune has befallen us, it is thoroughly impossible even to make your presence here known to Madame.' Who could have anticipated such a contretemps? Never before has Mademoiselle Melanie allowed a dress to issue from her hands which did not fit Amavelle, and there are two important alterations to be made in this before it can be worn. Madame is in despair. She will go out of her senses. It will give her a brain fever. Can we not have the pleasure of seeing her for a few moments? when her toilette is completed inquired maurice ah there it is when her toilette is completed will it be completed in time for her to reach the senate at the hour proposed monsieur will pardon me but i have not a moment to spare turning to patrick she added I am forced to go out to purchase some ribbons. I have left Madame in the hands of Antoinette. Madame is in such a state that one might weep to see her. Take care not to admit anyone except Countess Orlowski, who accompanies your mistress to the Senate. I will be back presently. The Countess de Goyemont rose up majestically. Let us depart, my son. Never more will I cross this threshold. Never enter this house where I have been insulted. No insult was intended, replied Count Tristan nervously. Even if it were, we are not in a position to be cognizant of insults. We should be forced to ignore them. I cannot leave without entreating the Marchioness to deliver this letter to Monsieur de Fleury herself. It must be done, and to-day there is not an instant to lose. And you can stoop so low, you can demean yourself to such a degree. What a humiliation! Humiliations are not to be taken into consideration where ruin stares us in the face, he answered violently. Is this so very important? inquired Bertha, struck by the Count's angry manner. Of more importance than I can explain to you. Oh, then let us stay, aunt. We must make allowances for Madame de Fleury's ruling passion. Her toilette first, all the world afterwards. A carriage just then drove to the door and attracted the attention of Bertha, who was standing by the open window. What magnificent horses, and what a neat equipage, all the appointments in such admirable taste. 
a lady is descending i suppose it must be the countess orlowski what a dignified air she has what a graceful bearing i wish i could see her face she must be handsome with such a perfect figure yes i am right it is the countess orlowski for as the servant has admitted her as the lady was passing through the hall she said to the domestic no need to announce me i will go at once to the chamber of madame de fleury at the sound of that voice the shriek of joy that broke from bertha's lips drowned the amazed exclamation from maurice in another instant bertha's arms were around the stranger and her kisses were mingled with tears and broken ejaculations as she embraced her rapturously maurice stood beside them struggling with emotion that caused his manly frame to vibrate head to foot while his dilated eyes appeared spellbound by some familiar apparition which they hardly dared to believe was palpable there is such a joy which in its wild excess paralyzes the faculties makes dumb the voice confuses the brain until ecstasy becomes agony and all the senses are enveloped in a cloud of doubt such was the joy of maurice as he stood powerless questioning the blissful reality of the hour yet in the actual presence of that being who was never a moment absent from his mental vision madeleine madeleine my own madeleine have we found you at last is it really you sobbed bertha whose tears always flowed easily but now poured in torrents from their blue heavens and madeleine as she passionately returned her cousin's embrace dropped her head upon bertha's shoulder and also wept madeleine at that tremulously tender voice her face was lifted and turned towards maurice turned for the first time for nearly five long years and yet at that moment he felt as though it had never been turned away bertha involuntarily loosened her arms and madeleine extended her hand to maurice he clasped it fervently but his quivering lips gave forth no sound one irrepressible look of perfect joy from madeleine's luminous eyes had answered the impassioned gaze of his one smile of ineffable gratitude played over her sweet lips for an instant the eyes were raised heavenward in mute thanksgiving and then sought the ground as though they feared to reveal too much and the smile of transport changed to one of grave serenity and the wonted quietude of her demeanour returned the countess and count tristan had both risen in speechless surprise but had made no attempt to approach madeleine whom bertha now drew into the room madeleine i cannot believe that i am not dreaming cried the latter i cannot believe that i have found you that is really you and that you are lovelier than ever you no longer look pale and careworn you are happy my own madeleine you are happy are you not but why have you forgotten us i have never forgotten never never forgotten faltered madeleine in a voice that had the sound of tears 
answering to those that glittered in her eyes. Maurice had not released her hand, and, bending over her, made an effort to speak, but at that moment the stern voice of the countess broke in harshly. "'How is it that we find you here, Mademoiselle de Grémont? Where have you hidden yourself? What have you done since you fled from my protection?' "'Yes, what have you done?' chimed in Count Tristan. "'How is it that we find you descending in a handsome equipage and elegantly attired?' "'I have done nothing for which I shall ever have to blush,' answered Madeleine, with a dignity that awed him into silence. "'It was needless to say that, dear Madeleine,' cried Maurice, whose powers of utterance had returned when he saw Madeleine was about to be assailed. "'No one who knows you would dare to believe that you ever committed an action that demanded a blush.' Madeleine thanked him with her speaking countenance. Perhaps it was only fancy, but he thought he felt a light, grateful pressure of the hand he held. "'But tell us where you have been,' continued Bertha, affectionately. "'You look differently, Madeleine, and yet the same. And how this rich attire becomes you! You are no longer poor and dependent, then, are you?' "'I am no longer poor and no longer dependent.' answered Madeleine, in a tone of honest pride. "'Is it possible?' exclaimed the Count and his mother together. "'But how has all this happened?' Bertha ran on. "'Oh, I can divine! You are married! You have made a brilliant marriage!' At those words a suppressed groan of unutterable anguish struck on Madeleine's ear. The hand Maurice held dropped from his grasp. "'Speak! Do speak, dear Madeleine,' continued Bertha. "'Tell us all your sufferings, for you must have suffered at first, "'and all your joys, since you are happy now. "'And tell us how you chance to be here, here in America, as we are, "'and how it happened that you are calling upon the Marchioness de Fleury "'at the same time as ourselves, and why you expect to be received by her, "'though she will not receive us.' Before Madeleine could reply, and she was evidently collecting herself to speak, Lurline, who had just returned from executing her commission, passed through the hall. The door of the drawing-room stood open. She caught sight of Madeleine and ran toward her, exclaiming joyfully, "'Oh, what good fortune! How rejoiced my poor mistress will be! She did not dare to hope for this great kindness. I am so thankful. I will fly to announce to her the good news!' She hurried away, leaving Madeleine's relatives more than ever amazed by these mysterious words. Count Tristan was the first to break the silence. Ever keenly alive to his own interest, he saw a great advantage to be gained if he had interpreted the language of the femme de chambre rightly. In an altered tone, a tone of marked consideration, he asked, "'You are well acquainted with the Marchioness de Fleury?' "'Very well,' replied Madeleine, with an incomprehensible emphasis, while a smile that had a faint touch of satire flitted over her face. "'She receives you?' questioned the Count. "'Always,' answered Madeleine, smiling again. "'She esteems you,' persisted the Count. 
I have every reason to believe that she does. And you have influence with her? joined in Bertha, suspecting the Count's drift and feeling desirous of aiding him. I think I may venture to say I have. Oh, how fortunate, cried Bertha. You may be of the greatest service to our cousin Count Tristan. She took the letter out of his hand, and placing it in Madeleine's, added, Beg Madame de Fleury to read this letter, and obtain her promise that she will use her influence with the Marquis de Fleury to cause Mr. Gobert, Gobert, that's his name, is it not, appealing to the Count, to cause Mr. Gobert to vote as herein instructed. See how well I have explained the matter. I really believe I have an underdeveloped talent for business. The letter should reach Madame de Fleury this morning. The appeal should be made to the Marquis to-day, this very day, urged the Count. It shall be, replied Madeleine, with quiet confidence. The Countess interposed. What, my son, you are willing to solicit the interference of Mademoiselle de Grémont without knowing how and where she has passed her time? How she has lived since she fled from the Chateau de Grémont? I refuse my consent to such a proceeding. Aunt, madame, returned Madeleine in a gently pleading voice, do not deprive me of the pleasure of serving you, humble and unworthy instrument that I am. Leave me that happiness. If the marchioness would only grant me a few moments' interview this morning, said Count Tristan, who evidently doubted the strength of Madeleine's advocacy. I promise that she will grant you an interview this morning, replied Madeleine, interrupting him. The femme de chambre now re-entered and said, Madame is impatient at this delay. Every moment seems an hour. Say that I will be with her immediately, answered Madeleine. She then addressed the Count. Have no fears. You may depend upon me. The Countess will receive you the moment her toilette is completed. Madeleine once more embraced Bertha, once more extended her hand to Maurice, who stood bewildered, dismayed, looking half petrified, and passed out of the room. As soon as she had disappeared, Bertha broke forth joyously. Well, aunt, what do you think now of our Madeleine? Is not this magic? Is not this a fairy-like denouement? She disappears from the Chateau de Grémont as though the earth had opened to swallow her. No trace of her could be discovered for nearly five years, and suddenly she rises up in our very midst, a grand lady, enveloped in a cloud of mystery, and working as many wonders as a veritable witch. She leaves us poor, friendless, dependent, and returns to us rich, powerful, and with influential friends, ready to serve those who once protected her. But I think I found the key to the enigma. Did we not hear strict orders given that none but Countess Orlowski should be admitted? Well, Madeleine was at once allowed to enter. It follows, beyond doubt, that she is Countess Orlowski. This version of Madeleine's position seemed to strike both the Countess and her son not as merely possibly but probably correct. I always thought, returned the Count, 
that Madeleine was a young person who, in the end, his mother finished the sentence in a tone of pride, would prove herself worthy of the family to which she belongs. The loud ringing of the street doorbell attracted the attention of the group assembled in the drawing-room. A well-known voice exchanged a few words with the servant, and Gaston de Bois entered. His manner was unusually perturbed, and he looked around the room as though in search of someone. The instant he appeared, Bertha exclaimed, "'Oh, Monsieur de Bois, Monsieur de Bois, we are all so much rejoiced. Madeleine, our own Madeleine, is found at last. She is here, here in this very house, at this very moment.' "'I, I, I knew it!' answered Monsieur de Bois, with a mixture of embarrassment and exultation. "'You knew it? How could you have known it?' asked Maurice eagerly. "'I saw her carriage at the door.' "'Her carriage? She has a carriage of her own, then?' inquired the Count. "'Yes, and the most superb horses in Washington.' "'You knew, then, that she was here?' cried Maurice, with emotion. "'You knew it, and you never told us.' "'I knew it, but I was forbidden to tell you. "'I hoped you would meet. "'I felt sure you would. "'I did not know how or when, "'but from the moment you put your foot in the city, "'I looked for this meeting. "'I was strongly impelled to bring it about, "'but my promise withheld me.' "'Of course you would not break a promise.' "'That explanation is quite satisfactory,' remarked Bertha. "'I am sure you would have given us a hint but for your promise.' "'I almost gave one in spite of it. "'I found it harder to keep silent than I used to find it to speak, "'and that was difficult enough. "'But have the goodness to unravel us with this great mystery,' demanded the Count. Madeleine is married, married to Count Orlovsky, the Russian ambassador. A nobleman of position, added the countess. How did this come about? inquired the count. Monsieur de Bois looked stupefied. Who, 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 who said she was married? he gasped out. Why do you imagine that she is m married? She is... Not, not, not married, then? Say that she is not, broke in Maurice. Hanging upon the reply as though it were a sentence of life or death. No, no, not married at all. Not in the least married. Maurice did not answer, but the sound that issued from his lips almost resembled the sob of hysteric passion. Tell us quickly all about her besought Bertha impatiently. "'Yes, speak, speak!' said the Countess imperiously. "'Speak!' echoed the Count. "'Gaston, my dear friend, pray speak, speak quickly!' Maurice besought. "'I w wish I could. That's just what I w want to do. But it's not easy. You bewilder me with so much questions.' But the time has come when you must know that she has the all, 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 all the honor, the honor to 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 be 
Go on, go on, urged Maurice. I wish I could. It's not so easy to explain, plain. The rustling of a silk dress made him turn. The Marchioness du Fleury, in the most captivating spring attire, stood before them. Ah, here is Madame du Fleury, and she can tell you herself much better than I can said Monsieur de Bois, apparently much relieved. The Marchioness saluted her guest with excessive cordiality, softly murmured her gratification at their visit, and added apologetically, I must entreat your pardon for allowing you to wait. It was not in my power to be more punctual. A terrible accident, the first of the kind which ever occurred to me, is my excuse. Do not imagine, my dear Vivant, turning to Maurice with a fascinating smile, that I had forgotten my appointment, but at the Russian embassy yesterday I was prevailed upon to promise that I would be present at the Senate today to hear the speech of a Vermont orator, a sort of Orison Demosthenes, who has gained a great renown by his rude but stirring eloquence. We ladies have been promised admission, which is now and then granted, to the floor of the house instead of being crammed into the close galleries. It will be a brilliant occasion. I invited the Countess Orlovsky to accompany me. If all had gone well, I should have been ready to receive your visit before she came. The brow of the countess smoothed a little as she answered. I felt confident, madame, that there must have been some explanation. Ah, uh, I fear you are displeased with me, resumed madame de Fleury playfully. But I will earn my pardon. You will be compelled to forgive me. Monsieur de Fleury meets me at the capital, and I will deliver this letter of the count into his hand, and make him promise, blindfold, to consent to any request that it may contain. Madame, returned the count, bowing to the ground, I shall never be able to express my gratitude. You can hardly form a conception of the favor you are conferring upon me. That letter is of the highest importance, and my indebtedness beggars all expression. To be frank with you, Count, answered Madame de Fleury, you owe me nothing. You are only indebted to the advocate you chose, one whom I never refuse, one to whom I feel under the deepest obligation, especially this morning, one who is so modest that she can seldom be induced to ask me a favor or to allow me to serve her. Thus, you see, it is but natural that I should seize with avidity upon this opportunity. The Count looked at his mother triumphantly, and as the face of the Marchioness was turned towards Bertha, he whispered, Shall I not tell her that Madeleine is our niece? The Countess seemed disposed to consent, for the words of Madame de Fleury had gratified as much as they astonished her. The Marchioness addressed Countess de Grémont again. 
I trust, madame, that you will allow me to waive ceremony and take a liberty with you, since it is in the hope of being some service. I should like to reach the capital before the oration commences, and if this letter must be delivered to Monsieur de Fleury immediately, my going early will enable me to have a few moments' conversation with him, which I probably shall not get after the orator rises. Will you excuse me if I tear myself away? And will you give me the pleasure of your company tomorrow evening? Tomorrow is my reception day, and some of my friends honour me in the evening. I am désolé at this apparent want of courtesy, but I am sure you see the necessity. The countess bowed her permission to Madame de Fleury's departure, and the count overwhelmed her with thanks. The countess would herself have taken leave, but anxiety to learn something further of Madeleine caused her to linger. The marchioness now addressed her valet, who was standing in the hall awaiting orders. Patrick, when Madame Orlowski calls, beg her to pardon my preceding her to the capital. Say that I will reserve a seat by my side. Then the lady who just visited you was not Madame Orlowski inquired the count, more puzzled than ever. No, indeed, she is worth a thousand Madame Olaskis. The count's glance at his mother seemed again to ask her permission to allow him to announce that Madeleine was their relative. We felt certain that she was one of the magnates, began the count. The marchioness interrupted him. She is better than that. She has all the magnates of the land, that is, the female magnates, at her feet. The foreign ladies swear by her, rave about her, and as for the Americans, they are demented, and would gladly pave her path with gold, that being their way of expressing appreciation. Madame Menesca passes whole mornings with her. Madame Poniatowski talks to no one else. She enchants everyone, offends no one. For myself, I have only one fault to find with her. I owe her only one grudge. If it had not been for her aid, that impertinent little Mrs. Gilmer would not have such success in society. If I could succeed in making her close her doors against Mrs. Gilmer, what a satisfaction it would be then and only then should i be content the count could restrain himself no longer we are highly gratified to hear this madame it concerns us more nearly than you are aware the lady is not wholly a stranger to us in fact she she indeed she was so little known in paris that you were fortunate in finding her out i appreciated her there but i did not know how much actual credit was due her for she had not risen to her present distinction i confess she is the one person in america without whom i could not possibly exist is this possible exclaimed the countess and i cannot be grateful enough to her continued the marchioness 
for her visit this morning, for she never goes out, or so seldom that I dare not to expect, to even hope for her presence, yet her conscientiousness made her come. She suspected I was in difficulty and hastened here. It is like her, she was always charming, so thoughtful for others, observed the Count, as complacently as though this were an opinion he was in the habit of expressing for years. You may well say she is charming, responded Madame de Fleury, and what knowledge she possesses of all the requirements, the most subtle refinements of good society, what polished manners she has, what choice language she uses, what poetical expression she gives to all her sentiments. I often forget myself when I am talking her, and fancy that I am communicating with a person of the same standing as myself, and without knowing what I am doing, I involuntarily treat her as an equal. An equal, of course, most certainly, answered the countess, aghast. The amazement of the count, Maurice, and Bertha sealed their lips. Her taste, her talent, her invention is something almost supernatural, continued the marchioness enthusiastically, for now that she was launched upon her favorite theme, she had forgotten her haste. She sees at a glance all the good points of a figure. She knows how to bring them out strongly. She discovers by intuition what is lacking and dexterously hides the defects. I have seen her convert the veriest dowdy into an elegant woman. And when she gets a subject that pleases her, she perfectly revels in her art. Look at this dress, for instance. See by what delicate combinations it announces the spring. The marchioness was struck with the consternation depicted in the countenances of her visitors. Bertha was the only one who could command sufficient voice to falter out. That dress, then, it was her invention, replied the marchioness triumphantly. Anyone would recognize it in a moment as coming from the hands of Mademoiselle Melanie. Though she has such a wonderful creative fertility, her style is unmistakable. There was never a mantua maker like her. A mantua maker? A mantua maker? exclaimed the Countess and her son at once in accents of disgust and indignation. Ah, uh, I see that you do not like to apply that epithet to her, and you are right. She should not be designated as a mantua maker, but a great artist, a true artist, a fairy, who with one touch of her wand can metamorphose and beautify and amaze. At that moment, a servant announced that the Countess Orlovsky awaited in her carriage and desired him to say that she feared she was late. "'You will excuse me, then,' murmured the Marchioness. "'I must hasten to execute my mission for Mademoiselle Melanie, since it was she who so warmly solicited me to undertake this delicate little transaction, and I would not disappoint her for the world. Pray do not forget tomorrow evening. Au revoir!' 
she floated out of the room leaving the countess and her son speechless with rage and indignation bertha and maurice stood looking at each other and then at monsieur de bois the only one who expressed no surprise but seemed rather more gratified than moved when he beheld the countess sink back in her chair and apply the bottle of sal voitile to her nose the shock to her pride had been so terrible that she appeared to be in danger of fainting End of chapter twenty two